Another pot of coffee is brewing and my fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and most importantly, caffeine-themed. I am still on my changing things up kick this week, so that means it's not a decom. So if you tuned in for one, I'm really sorry, but please stick around. Congratulations must go to Fritz and Louise from Mediapath Podcast and SWA Productions, who correctly guessed this week's film from my rather obscure clue. Thank you all for not making it necessary for me to inflict my singing on you. So, you may have guessed by now, the film I am going to be talking about this week is 2000's Miss Congeniality. I'll also be including an update about my mental health and a tiny bit of insight into yet another part of my mental health history. Please stick around, it's right at the end. Yes, the last week has not been much kinder than the week before, but at least I don't have any nosebleeds this weekend. As I mentioned last week, I'm not completely abandoning Disney. See, I told you, DCOM listeners, they're not being completely abandoned. Because there are some films I really want to talk about. But I'm giving the studio a tiny break and talking about other films in my collection. And there are quite a few. These, obviously, don't come from the Mouse House. Though they may come from Marvel or Fox. That merger definitely started to narrow things down when deciding not to do Disney. However, before I get into any of that, it's time for another instalment of My Dreams Are Fucking Weird. Yes, you guessed it. I don't normally wake up from my dreams feeling panicked. I really don't. Normally, the feeling of panic has gone and destroyed my sleep before I even wake up. But last Wednesday, after feeling so confident when I went to sleep, I woke up with a really bad headache and a horrid fear that I had lost something. Okay, so, for some reason, in this dream, I'm at an event in a large park. There are loads of little areas that are shaded by trees and bushes, and though I did find one beside a massive, very military-looking block of toilets, I really did not want to sit there for obvious reasons. If you've ever been to public toilets in a park, or anywhere else for that matter, you won't need me to tell you how bad they can smell. I keep on seeing people wearing silver, and I don't mean just a necklace or a pair of earrings, I mean lots of silver. Some are even spray painted completely from head to foot. Their clothes and everything are this bright, clean shimmer And in the dream, I recall seeing a very young Princess Anne going around the same park, standing on the back of a horse. Okay, I know she's an equestrian and she's been to the Olympics, but standing on the back of a horse? What that's about, I really am not sure. Anyway, I keep on just leaving my bag on the ground and then going to look for somewhere to sit, which is weird in itself because when I'm in a stressful situation, such as crowds, I cling on to my bag as though it's a lifeline. Despite there being loads of people there, I find my bag every single time, which is weird, and everything is always there, so I feel fine. At one point, I even see my brother. I call out to him and he gives me a cursory wave, but then carries on walking around with his friends. No one else I see 
there is in any way familiar, just a sea of strangers all wearing silver. A little or a lot. They're milling around in this park waiting for something to happen and I really have no idea what they're waiting for. Finally, I give up trying to find somewhere to sit and I go back to the head that is near the public toilets, so gross, and I set up my little camp. I take out my laptop, my flask of coffee, because hey, it had to be there somewhere, and I put my small waterproof beach blanket on the ground. Someone yells at me that it's not silver, and I just yell back at them that I can use whatever damn colours I want. This gets me a few glares, but nothing bad. And I then speak to the person who's sitting next to me and tell them that I'm going to go and get some water. Weird, as I really don't like water. I know that's going to sound even weirder, but it's one of the drinks that I have to put something in because our water is really hard and it tastes vile. And I then leave. My stuff has been safe before, so of course it's going to be safe now. When I get back, I feel sick. I check my bag, I check under the blanket, I ask the person who's made their spot next to mine where things are, they just shrug. My laptop is gone. I feel sick and panicked and I start running around searching under things, behind things. I try and see someone who would be carrying a laptop in their hands but in the sea of silver it's really hard to see a silver coloured MacBook. I see my brother again and he just rolls his eyes at me and tells me that I was stupid to think that someone wouldn't take advantage and take a laptop when it was sitting right there unattended. But in my dream, I protest. I was only gone a minute and someone was sitting right there. I know deep down what I'm saying is completely stupid. The person next to me had no investment in keeping the laptop or any of my other belongings safe from people. And why would they? In the dream, I find myself wishing that I'd bought a cheaper laptop with me, one I could afford to replace. That's in my head in the dream, that I won't be able to afford to replace the laptop. I'm still looking for the laptop, pushing through a crowd that is growing thicker and thicker as more and more people arrive at the park for whatever we're there for. Finally, though, I return to the spot where I left the rest of my stuff, My things have been pushed slightly out of the way as more people have arrived and the person next to me is talking to the people next to them when I get there, but they all go silent as I tidy my things and sit down. I still feel really sick when I wake up and this is in reality, when I woke up I felt so sick. Being honest, the first thing I did was get out of bed and make sure that my laptop was exactly where I'd left it before I went to sleep. Now... Here's the weirdest thing, and it sounds so strange, but the entire dream was played out to the song Only In My Dreams by Debbie Gibson, and it played on repeat. You know the song, now only in my dreams, that one, if you're from the 80s, you'll probably remember it far better than anyone who was born in the 90s, because by that point, 1980s music had almost died out. So, now that I've traumatised myself remembering that dream, seriously, the headache I had when I woke up after this didn't go until I'd had two cups of coffee and a couple of painkillers, which is unusual for me. I'm now headed into beauty pageant city with Miss Congeniality. As with a lot of the things I'm doing because I feel like it, I was surfing through Netflix and Amazon a few nights ago. 
Does anyone else find that they can look for something to watch for about 30 minutes some nights and just give up and turn to a book instead? Anyway, I was surfing through the streaming services and noticed that Miss Congeniality had just been added. Weirdly enough, I actually searched my bookcases and discovered I have the second film on DVD in a bright, glittery pink and silver case, (laughs) but I don't have the first film for some reason. So I figured, why not watch it? It's been a while since I watched it last. So I did. Watch it, that is. For some reason, the film starts in a playground where a small girl with glasses and pigtails is beating up a boy who was bullying someone else. She wins the fight, but because apparently this is the way things go, the boy she was defending verbally beats her down, telling her that he doesn't like her. Is it just me or is this perpetuating an idea of toxic masculinity? That only the men can be strong and if a woman defends anyone, it should only be herself. Anyway... We then fast forward a good few years. Little pigtail girl has grown up, though she's no more glamorous than when she was in the playground. But that doesn't matter. She's reading a book in a restaurant and eating borscht. I love beetroot, but I am not sure I would eat the soup. It turns out that she's part of a sting operation with the FBI. Unfortunately for her, she has a problem following the rules. And despite things starting off smoothly in the sting... Her actions end up causing one of her colleagues to get shot. She's loud, rough, abrupt. But to be perfectly honest, they aren't bad characteristics if she's being true to who she is. We learn that this is Gracie Hart, an FBI agent played, as everyone who isn't under a rock knows, by Sandra Bullock. Her boss, Agent McDonald, played by Ernie Hudson, likely better known to most as Winston from Ghostbusters, is unamused by Gracie's actions during the operation and puts her on report. <laughs> well, you've, if you've caused someone to be shot, that is kind of the deal, right? I know that if you misbehave at work and cause problems for someone, you get a written warning. This is with a gun, so it's hardly going to be, oh, slap on the wrist and carry on. I know that a lot of stuff is going on in the real world right now, and I've said before... I'm not going to get involved in political discussion, especially during a movie review. And that's what this is. So while I really do understand there is a lot going on in the world and a lot of it has to do with the police, I don't think this is the time or place to discuss it. Her behaviour is going to be reviewed by a committee. So she's off any future cases and will be spending her time filling in paperwork. Agent McDonald is briefing everyone in his team about a perp called the Citizen. Whoever they are, they have a message to share and it's destructive. The Bureau is constantly getting clues as to the next target, but by the time they figure out who or what is at risk, they're too late. The Citizen is leading them around by the nose. They've received a new letter and though Gracie is told unequivocally that she is not to get involved with the case, another of her colleagues who has been given the helm, Eric Matthews, no, not the character from Boy Meets World, asks for her advice. Oh, by the way, Eric Matthews is played by Benjamin Bratt and this is the second time Bullock and Bratt have teamed up on screen. The first time was in 1993's Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. I really love that film and remember sitting with a group of friends giggling as we tried to get the VCR to pause on a scene, which I'm sure many of you don't need to be told about. 
Despite being instructed to stay away, Gracie starts to look into the letter to see if she can figure out what the next target is. Eric even asks her to let him know if she figures it out, as though he acknowledges she has the smarts needed to solve at least part of the case. It turns out that the citizen is targeting the Miss United States pageant. Gracie wants to be involved, but she doesn't expect to be dragged kicking and screaming to a warehouse on an airbase where she is plucked, waxed, teased, her hair, and squeezed into a tight but admittedly gorgeous bodycon dress. It seems that beneath all the masculine manners and ill-fitting pantsuits, she is feminine and all it takes is hours under the care of experienced beauticians. Not sure if this is actually a positive message. It's very much like the cliched bun and glasses makeover we've seen before in films like She's All That and How to Marry a Millionaire. Isn't it so lucky that underneath all that desperation to get further in her career by working hard to fit in with the men that she's a beautiful woman? Okay, less of that because seriously. So Gracie is entered into the Miss United States contest as Gracie Lou Freebush representing New Jersey because the original Miss New Jersey was in a porn film. Kathy Morningside, played by the always amazing Candice Bergen, is the pageant coordinator and a former winner of the competition, though rumour has it she made sure she won using somewhat nefarious means. She's acting happy to have someone investigating risk to the scholarship programme, but she also assigns Gracie an advisor, Victor Melling, who is brought to the screen by the surprisingly well-spoken Michael Caine, he actually plays Victor in a rather Hollywood early 2000s gay cliche. It turns out that Victor left the circuit under something of a scandalous cloud. While part of the pageant, Gracie not only has to learn to dance, she also has to find a talent, play at being feminine, that means no more smuggling of donuts or eating slabs of steak, and try to fit in with the other contestants while hiding everything that she is under the blowout. She makes a really good friend in Cheryl Fraser, who is portrayed as a little bit vacant. This could well be that she loses her way when she's under pressure, as a large number of people do. She's incredibly friendly, very quiet, and she's nervous. So that may well easily explain away some of the rather daft mistakes she makes, such as when she's asked about her perfect date and responds with a date rather than something like a walk in the park or a meal at a restaurant. She's quiet and seems incredibly genuine, but a single event in her past makes her a top suspect to the FBI. Of course, as with everything, there is a twist, because there has to be. Around two-thirds of the way through the film, the FBI finally catch up with the citizen who is caught having made a very silly mistake. So McDonald calls off the Miss United States pageant stakeout. Gracie, though, is totally invested. She's been listening to the changing room gossip, or at least the beauty world's equivalent, and there are several potential suspects who haven't even been looked into yet. She's positive that Kathy Morningside is suspicious, especially after hearing that the coordinator has been fired from her role and is being replaced with someone younger. And she also has that rather nefarious history of sabotage. 
When MacDonald refuses to listen and Eric won't back her up, Gracie feels that she has no choice. These girls are her friends, apparently, and she needs to protect them. So she hands over her gun and badge and decides to go it alone. Of course, without the FBI, she's also without the support of Victor, who is being paid by the FBI for his services. This means that Miss Unfeminine now has to figure out the world of beauty pageants, makeup, hair, clothes, the lot on her own. While Gracie is in the dressing room getting help from the other competitors to get ready after Victor's departure, Victor is schooling Eric and Agent Klonsky on the details of Kathy Morningside and her creepy son, Frank. Realising that they've actually got things incredibly wrong, Eric heads back to the pageant with Victor. In order to get Eric backstage, Victor pretends that they are lovers, hence my earlier reference to Hollywood cliche from the 2000s. Eric sees Gracie and she keeps on pointing to her head trying to get the message across as she's realised that the winner is the target and the crown is going to be the way the copycat citizen makes a literal and probably gory splash. The guileless and quiet Cheryl is crowned the winner and Gracie, in a scene that seems incredibly incompetent for someone who can take down a fully grown man, catfights with her friend to get the crown. Everyone watching, apart from those in the know, assume that Gracie is jealous and trying to steal the crown for herself, including Cheryl who stands on the catwalk and sobs in a way that I have literally only just realised is very similar to the way the little brat girl in Problem Child cried at her birthday party when Junior started to behave like a demonic shithead. Of course, when Gracie throws the crown into the air just as Kathy Morningside presses the detonator, the crying stops because Cheryl faints. It turns out that Morningside's motive for destroying the pageant and killing the winner was incredibly simple. She felt that the network owed her a job and she wasn't going to leave quietly. To be honest, not quite sure what she hoped to achieve by killing someone live on air, but then no one said that logic played a part in any of this. The film ends with Gracie being tricked into a presentation organised by the other pageant girls, during which she is presented with a sash and a trophy. She saved the pageant, saved Cheryl's life, and is named their Miss Congeniality. And that's where we find out what the title actually means. And if you're not part of the pageant world, it probably meant nothing until that point. So, there's the plot. If you haven't seen it yet, and I've just spoiled it for you, I'm kind of sorry. But in my defence, it's been out for 20 years now, so if you haven't already seen it, you're unlikely to watch it now. Well, you might actually watch it now because you might think, oh, that story sounds quite interesting. If so, go ahead, it's on Prime UK. So, what did you think of Miss Congeniality? Did you like it? Did you find any of it problematic? Did you absolutely hate it? I have to be honest, I like this film. It's, is it the best thing I've ever seen? No. Is it the best thing I've ever seen Sandra Bullock in? No. Is it a good way to pass a rainy Sunday when you can't figure out what else to watch? Yeah, I'd probably say it is. If I ignore the few issues I had with it, which I will get into in a bit, this film is a great way to spend an afternoon or evening when there's nothing else on. I've seen it enough times, and so have most of the people who've seen it, that it's a good background noise film when I'm writing or reading, or crocheting. 
I really need to stitch a blanket together that has been unfinished in my wool tub for the last six months. Yes, I'm that lazy. According to Ellen DeGeneres, this film was inspired by the writer watching her. Ellen, that is, practice walking in high heels when she was doing a turn on the Oscars. I'm not sure how that works, but as this information came from Wikipedia, it could be total tosh. Also, which writer is she talking about? There were three. As I said just a few seconds ago, this film isn't without its issues. Not so much in the way of continuity, that I, though I am sure that if I looked closely enough, I could find something. This is more about the message. It seems that the writers were going with the old Dorothy Parker quote, men seldom make passes at girls who wear glasses. There are several scenes in the film that made me so sure that the writers must be men. But then I checked the credits and I was really surprised to find that two of the three-person team were actually women. My reason for this surprise? The dismissive way that the characters talk about women. When Gracie meets Eric's date in the bar, she mutters under her breath, makes derisive comments about the girl's intellect and seems to have little respect for her when all she's done is go on a date with someone. The scene where the team are trying to find someone to go undercover in the Miss United States pageant and they start to dress all the women under 35 up in clothes from a software package designed for dolls is also rather insulting, proving that it's all about the looks. Granted, this is about a beauty pageant. They don't even look at the records until Gracie points out that one of their ideal candidates is out of commission because she's on maternity leave. They show Gracie as crude and vulgar, eating with her mouth open, which is admittedly gross, not walking like she's on a catwalk. Glide, glide. I don't glide either. And dressing comfortably. Due to all these things, she's judged as being more masculine than feminine, with zero thought given to the fact that she's trying to fit in a world where strength and power are, are admired, not how you look and dress. Okay. Right, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but these things did annoy me, and it have annoyed me every single time I've watched the film. And I suppose maybe that's why I haven't got the first one. I don't know. Last night, meaning Monday, in an effort to relax, I watched Daylight, you know, the film from around 1996, starring a post-demolition man Sylvester Stallone. I was sort of encouraged to re-watch it by a review. However, I'm not sure that we actually watched the same film. Does anyone else ever feel that when they watch something they have either found or refound through a review, it's not what they thought it was? Maybe they remembered it being different or perhaps nothing at all like the review they've just read. For some reason, this particular reviewer kept on talking about an ensemble cast that included a character who died so early on in the film he was barely worth a credit. Having a very vague memory of the film myself, I was hugely disappointed to discover this character died by getting squished. Oh well, you live and learn, or not, as the case may be when it comes to this particular character. So now I've actually talked about what I've been watching in the last few days, let's have a look and see what's going to be coming to watch in the next few. 
This week is a little less on the sparse side when it comes to new programmes and films, at least as far as Netflix is concerned. To be honest, I'm shocked at how quickly this month is going. Seriously, how can we already be three weeks into November? The fact that when I record next week, we are heading into the downward run onto Christmas, that's terrifying. Anyway, streaming services. Remember, this is for the UK. Things in the US and other countries will probably, no, make that definitely be different. Netflix itself has a combination Christmas and box office flop theme going by the look of things. Between now and the 27th of November, which for you in the US will be Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Actually, no, the 27th will be Black Friday. Oh no, I've just remembered it's going to be a really busy week for us, even though I don't live in the US. Go figure. There are a considerate number of new programmes and films arriving. I'm not going to list all of them because I'd be here forever and I don't think that many of you are actually interested in new episodes of shows for toddlers. So, in no particular order, we have Christmas Chronicles Part 2, The App That Stole Christmas. Have to be honest, that one intrigues me. Moesha, for you fans of 1990s brandy out there, Santa in Training, Mortal Engines, the book is amazing. The film, unfortunately, not so much, even though Peter Jackson has done some amazing things with book adaptations. Alien Xmas. This, for me, has a look that reminds me just a little bit of Gnome Alone, I think came out last year. Holmes and Watson. Oh, God, why? Yes, God, yes. Nothing to do with Christmas, and as the title sort of hints, it's about religion and sex no not confusing at all and last but by no means least hillbilly elegy this is based on the book by jd vance it's a memoir it has a great cast but if the pre-release reviews are anything to go by it's not that great however i've never seen it I haven't read the book and it doesn't look like the sort of thing I will be watching to distract me from the wonders of our current existence. I was going to say that Amazon looks like it's picking up the game that Netflix is throwing down. But when I looked at the decidedly meagre new offerings that are coming this week, I had to change my tune. This is pretty pitiful. So let's start on the 20th of November, which is tomorrow if you're listening on thursday we have the uk film about military wives who formed 75 choirs in british military bases in the uk and abroad that were made famous in a british tv reality documentary called the choir this film is called military wives i guess if you enjoyed calendar girls this is probably for you on the 25th of November, a new release that is exclusive to Amazon arrives, Uncle Frank. It's about a literature professor who returns home to attend his father's funeral. I've no doubt this will be a film about self-discovery, but I haven't heard very much about it and the information on it is incredibly sparse right now. It's the final outing for the magicians on the 26th of November when their fifth season arrives on Amazon in the UK. I know that it airs in the US on Netflix, I believe, when it comes off normal TV. I have been slowly watching this as it's much darker than I 
actually anticipated but I am really enjoying it so if you like witchcraft and magic and darker stuff then this is probably something you'd enjoy. Finally on the 27th we are treated to a film that led to Lady Gaga winning an Oscar, BAFTA, Grammy and Golden Globe all in the same year. Apparently this is incredibly rare. Yes I am talking about A Star Is Born. I know that it has won 106 awards worldwide, that people fawn over it, that reviewers love it. It has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and I haven't watched it. By the time I got around to possibly going to see it, I wanted to nail my ears closed because the song that won all those gilded trophies sucks. I really hate the song Shallow. Sorry, anybody who loves it. I know the words, I know the tune, and the combination of them together makes me immediately switch off the radio. It had so much airtime that I just couldn't face it. Anyway, (laughs) on that positive note, that is the last release on Amazon for the coming week. Disney Plus is still a little bit quiet, but with the holiday season fast approaching, I am sure things will pick up eventually come on Disney I'm rooting for you this month we have the continued release of episodes of the Mandalorian and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 7 the Simpsons season 31 is anyone actually still watching out there arrived at the beginning of the month I believe on the 6th of November on the 17th so Tuesday the Lego Star Wars holiday special was released I can't help hoping that this is much better than the holiday special they released back in 1978. On the 20th, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, joins the other films in the series on Disney. And we also had the launch of Marvel 616. The final release for this month is on the 27th of November, when people outside the US finally get to see Noelle. This was the Christmas offering they released when... Disney Plus launched in the US in 2019. It stars Anna Kendrick, Bill Hader, Kingsley Ben, Adia, and Shirley MacLaine. Okay, so now you've heard about some of my possible viewing for the next week or so, let's hear from another podcast. This is Tweets Ahead, where they talk about the absurdity that is the Twitterverse and everything that happens in it. Check out Tweets Ahead. An Irish podcast where we discuss our favourite tweets and trends from the week. Whether it's social, political or from the world of sports, we love the unpredictable mess that is Twitter. You can listen to us on platforms such as Apple, Anchor, Spotify, Amazon, CastBox and more. And you can even follow us on Twitter at TweetsAheadCast. Like until around the mid-90s, Donald Trump was a Democrat. Men haven't been playing women in plays for a long time, Sean. I wonder, is that something that's just on Twitter, this whole left and right thing? I feel like I have to, ex- I have to explain like a lot of in-jokes there in a short space of time. It's America's ass. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that will actually be interesting and entertaining. So head over there once you've finished over here. This week, there is no book. I'm reading, I am reading, actually a lot, but I'm not finished with anything, unless you want to hear me talking about marketing and sales and how they can benefit from a more personal social media approach. Yes, work has encroached in my real life, in more ways than one. So, what's been happening in the world of Ray since last week? 
Believe it or not, I am still frustratingly focused on the conversation had at work nearly two weeks ago. You know, the one talking about furlough and how they were going to relate it to mental health rather than anything else. I keep on trying to push the thoughts from my head and people keep on saying to me, stop worrying, think of something else. It might not happen. I really wish it were that easy. I know all these things and I tell them to myself constantly. But no matter what I say or what other people say and what I see as I'm constantly being told at work that my that my role is necessary, that I'm a vital part of the team, it doesn't make any difference. The thoughts have been planted and they are unfortunately growing like dandelions in a fertile meadow. For some reason, okay, I know the reason, but that's a much longer conversation for another time. I focus on the negative a lot. Sure, I sound really positive. (laughs) I do. See? Tone of voice. Put a smile on your face and speak. It's what I was told when I was a receptionist. I sound really positive to people and when they meet me, they would never know that deep down I truly am neurotic, manic, constantly stressed and worried. I live on my nerves. But then, as anyone who has ever suffered from depression or anxiety will tell you, you become a very good actor stroke actress when you have to. For nearly 13 years, I worked two incredibly stressful jobs. I worked long hours, weekends, woke up at stupid times to do meetings with companies in the US East Coast. I would get into work at 6 or 7am in the morning to have calls with China and Australia and I survived without ever revealing that inside I was shattering into a thousand pieces. I know that sounds so dramatic but when you do suffer this way sometimes that's what it feels like like a tiny little piece of you is breaking away every single time you do something that is you know isn't right for your mental state at that point in time. Funnily enough, or probably not really, the straw that broke the camel's back wasn't the long hours, or the shockingly shitty salary, or the multitude of horribly thankless tasks I had to do. It was one person. For months, this individual browbeat me. She constantly talked about my weight, about my clothes, about my voice, my hair, my appearance in general. She would send emails telling me that my voice on the phone wasn't professional enough and nothing I ever did for her was good enough. She cost me two salary increases because they always asked her in our 360 reviews what she thought about me and nothing I did helped to get her off my back. Seriously, she made my life a literal living hell. Because it's in my nature, I would take the insults and internalise it all. I couldn't talk about it with my friends and family, some of whom I worked with, because they didn't have the same issues with her as I did. Instead, I would go home and create characters that reminded me of this woman in The Sims. And then I'd find multiple horrendous ways to kill her. We're talking in a room with no rubbish bin and a load of plates so flies would eat her. I'd put her in a swimming pool and then I'd take away the ladder. You name it, I did it. Oh, I even set her on fire once. Okay, is this probably something I shouldn't be admitting? This wasn't a real person, okay? This was not a real person, it was a sim. That was my therapy. At least it was until it wasn't. After months of her treatment, one morning I just woke up and for the first time in my life I called in sick when I wasn't feeling 
sick at all. I told them I had a stomach ache and my direct report was as understanding as people tend to be in corporate environments and thus started my journey into 10 months. Yep, 10 months of self-enforced isolation, therapy, counselling and a multitude of different medications. For a while, I managed to play Let's Pretend with my family until my nan found my boxes of codeine that I had subconsciously and I would never have done this intentionally. I literally was prescribed them because I ruptured a muscle in my thigh. The doctor gave me a prescription of codeine that I kept on repeating. I'd never take it and I just stored it in a cupboard. I have no idea really what I was storing it for. And she found my pills, destroyed them and I don't know what my intention was because obviously they're gone. Despite finding this, my nan still kept on telling me that I was pathetic, I was stupid, I had no reason to be depressed. And this is a constant message throughout my illness and the journey to recovery. I think it has to be a generational thing, but it really didn't help. Eventually, my sister went with me to the doctor and I was told that it would be a six-month wait to see someone unless I was covered under private insurance. For the first time, working for a massive corporation was a benefit. I had Booper. Within three days, I was sitting with a psychiatrist trying to explain my thoughts, my feelings, trying to use words that really didn't come naturally. I hated, and still do really, the idea that anyone would see me as weak. And despite struggling with my mental health for years before this breakdown, the decades of we're strong women, we can cope with everything, nothing will get to us, there's no reason to collapse, messages that pervade not only society in general, but also my own family, didn't help. Despite this happening almost 20 years ago, I am still recovering. I will never not need the medication that I take because, as it turns out, the issues I have aren't dictated by situation and circumstance. They are chemical in nature. Okay, so I have a diagnosis. It doesn't make it better, but it does make it easier for me to understand something about the person I am. I'm never not going to be emotional, tearful over little things, exhausted yet unable to sleep, but I take each day as it comes because I have to. Sure, the little things continue to affect me as though they are massive. A perfect example being my bathroom flooding for the second time in five months on Monday evening. For some frustrating reason, even though as a tenant I can do nothing about it, it still made it virtually impossible for me to sleep. Seriously, it was driving me nuts and it was the only thing on my mind because it happened right before I went to bed. I finally dozed at about 3.15 and was awake before 6.00. That's the way things work and I just have to face things head on no matter what. So, there's the nice update for this week. (laughs) Oh, just in case you missed it, I will be releasing on Thursdays at 6.53am for the next few weeks as I play mental catch-up. Yep, there's that word again. I am hoping that over Christmas I will have a chance to actually make better preparations and organise myself more for Tuesdays. Fingers crossed. Also, there are a lot of really fun things in my calendar over the next few weeks that I am so excited about. Well, 
that's about it for this week. So all that's left to say is thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I release a new one every week. For the next few, it will be on a Thursday. So if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Facebook at Not Before Coffee Podcast. I update on both quite a bit. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell.